Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another summery week from Wisconsin. Robert Craig's on vacation, so Rebecca Lynch and I are going to have a good time. <laughs> Rebecca Lynch from the Working Families Party joins us. Rebecca, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Matt? I'm excited because we're going to talk about polling now that Robert's <laughs> gone and he can't tell us how lousy they are. No. Um, well, welcome listeners. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about some polling that came out this week, particularly about uh, that has uh, some impact on congressional races. And I want to get Rebecca's thoughts. Um, we're also going to be joined by Eric Marsh. He's the executive director of Normal in southeastern Wisconsin. We're going to talk about all the marijuana referendums that are popping up around the, the state and talk more about that issue. We're also going to be joined by Sarah Godlewski, our endorsed candidate for state treasurer. But Rebecca, before we welcome Eric, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Marist NBC poll that came out yesterday, and we record on Thursday. Um, and there are some very interesting numbers. First of all, this poll, um, they interviewed 906 registered voters here, and uh, it has a margin of error of 3.8, which is better than the Marquette poll. Um, so it's at least pointing out that its statistical significance is a little stronger. But there's a couple of important numbers. The first one is uh, Trump. And uh, similar, very similar, I would argue, to the Marquette poll, Trump continues to be well underwater here in the state. Um, his approval numbers are at uh, 36% and uh, 52 disapprove. But the number I really want to get your comments on is the congressional control preference. And um, very interesting there. And essentially, the question was asked whether you would like to see a Democrat, uh, uh, Democrat, Democratic control of Congress or Republican. And in Wisconsin, uh, Democrats are up eight points, which is a very, very significant number. And the reason I wanted to ask you about this is um, that means there are, in particular, two congressional seats that definitely become in play, and that is the 1st Congressional District and the 6th. So the first is uh, the Paul Ryan seat, uh, and the, uh, the sixth is uh, Glenn Grothman. So these are two seats that in the past haven't been in uh, really in play, but because of Randy Bryce in particular, but also uh, Kathy Myers, she's also running a significant campaign, um, there's a real opportunity here, and I wanted to get your thoughts, because I know you've been knee-deep in helping Randy. Um, this, is, this is obviously very good news. Yeah, this is great news. You know, I think it's evidence of the fact that uh, Americans, uh, voters in this country want checks and balances. And I think particularly when we see in the executive in the White House, just like such, um, you know, such erratic behavior. You know, one of the things that, you know, is also shown in the poll is that folks don't think that Trump should be reelected. But in the meantime, for this midterm election, before we get a chance to weigh in on Trump being reelected, people really want to put a check in there in Congress. And I think that winning back the House is well within reach. And I do think that Wisconsin is part of that path. And I'm really excited about Randy. I think this seat would be way less in play if there were an incumbent, not to mention an incumbent speaker of the House running for reelection in that seat. And I really credit Randy with doing the brave thing, what a lot of folks at the time thought was the crazy thing of trying to take on Paul Ryan when he was assumed to be running for reelection, when he was still speaker and really running him out of that seat. And he did it by inspiring a lot of people. Um, 
going viral his story you know his video but his video is him it's a story his mother's story with her healthcare, um his story being a father and i think um you know that resonated with so many people in the district outside the district that he's raised millions of dollars in small donor contributions and you know that really scared paul ryan and now all of a sudden it's an open seat and it's in play and we can win and it's really remarkable and i think a huge amount of credit goes to randy bryce for just being brave enough to put himself out there you know he's not a regular you know, politician, as a lot of people say, but he, you know, he's, he's like all of us. He's an iron worker. He's a father. He's a, he's a regular person. And I think this is a crazy journey that he's been on. And I'm really glad that he decided to do it. I think what these polling numbers also reveal, and it's something certainly we've talked about, but I really have been trying to pound home on this podcast about the wave, this wave, this blue wave that everyone says is coming, that this wave is, 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 a lot about Trump. You know, there's there's other aspects of it in terms of I think people have certainly been getting more frustrated with the Republican ideology and its policy implications. But you see, you you briefly alluded to the Trump polling numbers and whether people think uh, does Donald Trump deserve re-election in 2020? Those numbers are horrible for him. I mean, in Wisconsin, um, he's down 32 points, 63 percent don't think Trump deserves re-election, which is uh, just a huge number. And so, of course, that trickles down into this idea that, you know, they would want to check against him in Congress. So um, it is worth reminding folks, especially as we think about the governor's race and state ledge races uh, here, where we would like to see that wave continue down the ticket, that Trump is still the straw that stirs the drink in terms of a lot of folks really being open to thinking about a different politic. Yeah. And, you know, another thing I would like to highlight about this poll that I find really interesting is that I I don't know the Wisconsin specific numbers for it, but generally the poll shows that Americans uh, have strong faith in democracy. And I think that's so critical because democracy has really been under attack, you know, since 2016, Um, not only by the Russians, but also by the White House, you know, President Trump attacking, you know, the FBI attacking the Supreme Court. And what the poll showed is that a majority of Americans support those two institutions, um, a, you know, a huge majority support the military, of course. Uh, but then we also see a majority of Americans in both parties believing that Russia interfered in our elections. And I think that's so important when we talk about demens- defense of democracy, because we need to know what's going on. We need to believe news sources in spite of the fact that our president saying fake news, fake news, because if we don't, then the Russian subversive effort to undermine our faith in our own democracy and and interfere in not only the last election, but this upcoming election and elections in the future will succeed. So I that was very heartening to me to see people want, you know, checks and balances with Congress. They know that Russia interfered in our election. They have faith in the FBI and the Supreme Court and in the military uh, is something that I think is also really important to note. Clearly, clearly people are open to some change. Um, and there was another poll, too, that came out this week that also continues to find Governor Walker to be very vulnerable. Um, it actually, uh, we referenced the Marquette poll uh, regularly on this, uh, on this podcast, um, found that Walker continues to have some of the worst approval ratings in the state, for, uh, in the country for governors. Um, it actually found him at 42% approval um, as oppo- and 50% uh, uh, disapprove, which continues to tell us that he is vulnerable and that we should be excited, right, about the opportunities that we have uh, at the governor's level. And I don't know if you have any other thoughts or comments uh, around the governor's race uh, and any of the recent developments. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just quickly say, you know, I think a lot of folks uh, here and throughout the country know that we can beat Scott Walker this year. And um, evidence of that is that, you know, people are really throwing their support behind different candidates or, or re- getting involved in major ways. So today's example just happens to be that Kamala Harris came out and endorsed Malin Mitchell, um, which to me is evidence that one of the top you know, front runners for the Democratic nominee for president in 2020 thinks we can win this gubernatorial seat. And she happens to think that Malin Mitchell is the one who can do it. But uh, we have a lot of great people running in the primary. I'm really looking forward to seeing who comes out of it. And I think from there, if we all come together, uh, I really do believe that this is the year that we can beat Scott Walker. So this does provide an opportunity for us to talk very briefly about the Wisconsin's Choice Project. And I know a lot of our listeners have been tracking tracking that. But uh, since we last recorded, uh, a lot of the news came out that none of the actual uh, final four candidates and we uh, in that process received 50 percent. Um, but there was significant amount of interest in the process. Could you just uh, update our listeners on that and just let them know about that and how uh, that process is going forward? Yeah, totally. Um, we had more people vote than ever before in this final round. Uh, you know, we, the way it was designed, the first two rounds were ranked choice, which I think is a really interesting way of kind of figuring out where folks are at. The final round was not ranked choice. You had to get, it was one person, one vote, and you had to get over 50% of a four-way vote to be what we call the people's champ. And the reason for that is that this is not a straw poll. It's not an internet poll. It's not a rat race. It's an organizing project where we're all trying to come together. This is not about being divisive. It's about coming together. And, you know, we knew that if there was no candidate who can get over 50 percent of a four way vote, then there really wasn't consensus in the progressive community. And it wouldn't be fair to try to force people to say, hey, like, I know you like your candidate, vast majority of folks, but you've got to go with this person who who not the vast majority of folks supported. Um, So this way, you know, would it be nice to have a front runner progressive candidate? It would be, but we don't. Um, that isn't up to groups like us. That's up to the candidates who are running, you know, whether or not they want to split that vote. But, um, you know, what we have said to folks is you retain the right to support who you wish. And we're all going to come together uh, in the general um, and try to try to make something happen. Well, we will continue to talk and follow the uh, gubernatorial primary as uh, we head up to it on August 14th. But we got to take a break And when we get back, we are going to have our first guest. We're going to be joined by Eric Marsh from Normal Southeast Wisconsin to talk about all these marijuana referendums. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are very fortunate to be joined by... One of our members, and he's actually on the steering committee of our Milwaukee co-op, and that is Eric Marsh. Eric is also the executive director of Normal here in southeastern Wisconsin. Eric, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're really excited to talk about this. We were actually going to try to talk about it a little bit last week at the end of our show. I think we even previewed it and then ran out of time. So we're really thrilled you could come in and we could spend a lot of time talking about this issue. Um, For our listeners, I want to ground this in um, Citizen Action last year, spent a lot of time with our members and our leaders around developing a platform and a long-term agenda, right? Like, what would we want to do uh, if we could get progressive control, and what would what would we want to see accomplished, say, in eight years? And one of the things that uh, is on that platform is to decriminalize marijuana, and for many reasons. And so we want to get into this discussion because we think 
all these referendums that are popping up around the state are critical to, to that conversation. So Eric, why don't you start by just letting our listeners know, tell us a little bit about what's going on, this referendum strategy, and, and uh, why, it's, why it's so important uh, for this issue. Yeah, um, well, we know that a uh, majority of Wisconsinites already support legalization of marijuana and supermajority support legalization of medical cannabis. What are those numbers, by the way, just for people who don't know, since uh, we just had so, polling yeah. numbers? Give us some yeah. more. Um, so uh, the last statewide polling um, for recreational marijuana legalization was 59% is what Mar Marquette poll from two years ago, July of two years ago, uh, showed. And so they haven't asked the question in two years. I emailed um, Franklin from there asking that they ask the question again, because especially with these referendums coming up, it's, it's very pertinent information at this point. Um, <clears throat> and for medical marijuana, I've heard numbers as high as like 85, 90%. I mean, there's a lot of devil in the details there as far as what conditions are covered, and there's, there's a wide range of what medical marijuana can mean in terms of restrictions and accessibility. Um, but pretty much every polling shows it you know, above 70, 80%, depending on how the question's asked. Um, but basically, what we're doing is in all these different counties around the state, we're getting uh, a non-binding advisory referendum on the ballot in November. And so this won't actually change any laws. It's just basically you know, a big glorified poll, but it's, it's the most accurate representation you can get because anyone, everyone has their say then. It's not a random sample of you know, a couple hundred people. This is literally tens or hundreds of thousands of people saying this is exactly what I want. And if you want to have your voice heard, you can go to the poll and you can have it heard. Yeah, well, uh, for example, in Brown County, um, our Northeast Organizing Cooperative, we have a number of members who have been super active in this issue uh, and we're critical in making sure that this was a part of our platform. Um, 200 plus people showed up just to talk about this referendum and have the debate, it is clearly something that is sparking a conversation and discussion about this issue, which is exactly mm -hmm. what, why we need these referendums, even if they're not binding. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the strategy, I mean, there's, there's a number of benefits from it. I mean, one is just, I mean, there's tons of media attention around this all summer, just all over the state. We're seeing this in the media. We're seeing all this discussion around marijuana legalization. Um, we're helping push uh, some of the, the elected officials in the right direction because, I mean, a majority of people support it, but in some of these faraway counties, I mean, Brown County, they passed the medical. Uh, they, were, they were voting on two advisory referendums, and they passed one to ask their residents whether or not they support medical marijuana, but they refused to, pass, they refused to put a question about recreational marijuana legalization on the ballot. Um, and it's just kind of insane when you go to this hearing and, you know, literally everybody except for one person or, I guess, you know, some other uh, supervisors at the end uh, spoke in opposition as well, but I mean, it was like literally just one member of the public when I went to the, the committee hearing at least, just one member of the public spoke against it, and then you had an hour and a half of powerful testimony with great stats and great personal stories uh, about all the benefits of legalization, and still uh, the, the people on the board are stuck in their ways, but at least we're, you know, every, everywhere where I, I've talked to county supervisors and they say, okay, I think it's, it's either going to fail by this much or, you know, it's going to pass, like here in Milwaukee County, uh, the supervisors were, were expecting that in the uh, Judiciary Committee that it was going to pass three to two, that there was going to be some opposition there. It ended up passing unanimously. And so I think it's opening a lot of people's eyes to see uh, the support that it does have. I mean, I think it's hard for people to oppose it once they see all this testimony. So, Eric, could you talk more about why 
it's so important to have actually full decriminalization, full legalization, not just medical. For, for our listeners who maybe don't track yeah. this as closely. Yeah, I mean, medical is definitely a very powerful... Um, medical marijuana is very powerful, but we need to go a lot further than that because there's just over 17,000 people are arrested on criminal charges in Wisconsin every year for marijuana. A lot of people don't realize that, especially in Milwaukee, where, decri- where first-time possession is decriminalized down to a $50 fine. If you, if you don't have any priors, you can just keep getting $50 fines for up to 25 grams. But if you, even in the city of Milwaukee, if you already have a prior, if you got busted up in Baraboo with, with a gram, that can, be, that can be a criminal charge. You have a misdemeanor conviction now. Maybe you just got probation, not, you know, nothing too serious. But then you get caught with another gram in Milwaukee where it's decriminalized. But because you already have that prior, now you're getting charged under a second offense felony. Um, I mean, I just had someone messaging the other day. I, I have people messaging our, our group all the time on Facebook. Uh, scary because they got they got arrested you know they got arrested like 10 years ago with some small amount they have a misdemeanor now they just got busted with two grams and they're facing felony charges and they're like what what can I do about this and unfortunately the best I can do is just give them the names of some attorneys and wish them luck and if it was just a couple grams odds are that they'll move it down to a misdemeanor but I mean still that's a, that's another criminal charge or another criminal conviction and now you got to sit on probation for six months or a year and that's that's just not something that people want and then in addition to that, there's all the benefits, $138 million a year in tax revenue we can raise based on the Walker administration's own analysis of Melissa Sargent's bill, AB 482. Um, there's uh, uh, Colorado was creating, um, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think it was like something like they crea- the cannabis industry created like 16,000 jobs out there just in 2016 alone. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, we sp- give Foxconn four and a half billion dollars to maybe potentially create 15 or create 10,000 jobs when we could be earning 130 million dollars a year and creating even more jobs than that. I mean, it's just kind of kind of insane. So there are so many good arguments for legalizing recreational marijuana um, or cannabis, I should say. But, you know, you mentioned that there are some uh, local elected officials, county supervisors, maybe other positions that are so out of step with the public and the public sentiment that supports legalization. Uh, what arguments could they possibly be making? I just like there's so many good arguments for legalization. What are the arguments against it? Uh, the gateway, the gateway argument comes up a lot. People saying that it's going to lead people to opiates, which is is unfounded. Um, there, there, there's nothing more inherent in, in, in cannabis than there is in alcohol or tobacco or caffeine or Tylenol that makes people want to go on to harder drugs. Yeah, if anything, I think uh, opioids or painkillers are leading people to marijuana because they're right. so tired of the opioids. They're tired of being on those painkillers, which are incredibly debilitating. Um, yeah, actually, that very argument was made by an orthopedic surgeon I'm, uh, up in the Brown County this idea that uh, kids who have uh, opioid addictions usually start started as teenagers with pot. I'm like, uh, that seems like a huge stretch uh, that there's somehow this, this gateway argument, which is my understanding has been fairly well debunked, right? See, I mean, it's, I, I don't know what like the, the, the exact logical fallacy is. I want to say like <laughs> confirmation ba- bias or, or observation sampling bias. Some, some when kind of Robert's here. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember. But it's, you know, it's basically, you know, it, people, who are, who, people who are using illegal opiates are people who use illegal drugs. And so if you're going to use illegal drugs, why would, you, why would you use the hard ones and not use the safe one? Yeah. I mean, it's not that smoking weed leads you to using opiates. It's that people who are predisposed, people who are interested in using opiates are just, why wouldn't they also smoke you know smoke weed i mean it's it's just it's it's 
it's not causal. It's not a causal relationship where weed causes you to, to use opiates. It's just it's confounding factors that are related between them. So can I ask what um, I know we only have a couple minutes left here in the segment, but what are some uh, things that you'll be doing to educate and engage the electorate um, where we have these referenda? Yeah, um, I mean, we're going to be well, I guess that that's that's one of the st the things that we we need to to really work on on figuring out in our plan. You're going to come like on the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. Yeah, we're going to come on, on different podcasts. Come on, different. You know, do whatever we can to to get out in the media. Um, I'm planning on writing an op-ed when it gets closer to the election. Once, uh, yeah, to to go around the state. Um, we've been doing like some town hall um, things, like at the public house that we're talking about expanding around the state that have uh, been very informational on. Uh, the different benefits of cannabis and cannabis legalization. Um, so we want to take that around, uh, just distributing flyers. I mean, because I mean, at this point, you know, with 59% of Wisconsinites as of two years ago supporting legalization, like we move from, uh, I mean, education is definitely still an important aspect of it, and we definitely, all the more support we can get, the better. But it's, at this point, it's more about activation is really the, the step that we're at. Oh, no, that's that's really great to hear. I mean, I think, you know, I always kind of bring like a little bit of a political um, consideration too to things. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, our friends and neighbors and colleagues don't decide not to vote, particularly in midterm elections, because they don't see the point. Um, and I can certainly appreciate why folks might feel that way. And I think having these referend on the ballot will turn more people out and give them more of a reason to take time out of their day to go vote. So I feel like from just like a political perspective, you know, having you mentioned that, you know, this might be on the ballot in Racine. You know, we talked in the last segment about trying to win back the first congressional district and how that's really in play with this new Marist poll that just came out. And how great would it be to have, you know, additional people coming out to have their voice heard in this referenda and hopefully also voting up and down the ticket. I am going to ask you to hold your thoughts on that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this break with Eric Marsh talking more about marijuana legalization and the referendums across Wisconsin. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Eric, we interrupted you. You were about to give us an answer to uh, Rebecca's question. I, I mean, I was basically just going to agree, yeah, with her with her statement. That was, that. that's definitely part of our, our angle, because um, in addition to all the media publicity that we get around these things, just increasing the voter turnout, we need to kick Scott Walker out. Scott Walker opposes even medical marijuana. He's a big proponent of the gateway drug theory. And so, yeah, just the more people we can get out pro-cannabis, the more likely we are to elect a pro-cannabis governor and a progressive governor because it's the progressives who are who are supporting it. I just think, like, in this day and age, to oppose medical marijuana is just, like, inhumane. I mean, there are people, you know, in our communities who are in, like, tremendous pain um, who are dealing with real, you know, terrible illness. And when you combine that with the opioid crisis, this public health e epidemic, it just is like illogical and cruel to mm -hmm. say that someone in, uh, you know, having a terminal illness, having a terrible illness in real pain shouldn't have access to medical marijuana. And instead, you're going to force them to, you know, add to the profits of the opioid, com you know, companies out there and maybe get addicted. And it's just irresponsible. I'm so glad you brought this up because all of us know people who have been hooked on opioids and it and and in particular from pain medicine i have a a dear friend from uh when i was in college in high school um whose whose wife got completely addicted to painkillers and it 
destroyed her life. She had to go multiple times into rehab, marriage broken up, right? Just completely tragic, right? And completely unnecessary because that was the only option that like really was available to her and there were no other options. Um, so I agree with you. I, I just, I find that really difficult that, that people would do that and do then like the scare, this reefer madness stuff. Mm -hmm. But what I find even more appalling is you actually have Republicans. Um, you had, uh, the Republican, uh, chairwoman, uh, up in Brown County actually make an argument that we shouldn't have the referendum because it might bring some people out to vote and that this well, is an election, right? Yeah. Which is like, I mean, that's, that's almost <laughs> even more perverse, right? Like that admittedly showing that they don't want vote, vote people to get out and vote, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's total voter suppression tactic. It's appalling. Yeah. And they're just, they're afraid that it's going to win. I mean, if they, if they thought that support was only at 12%, if they thought it was going to overwhelmingly fail, I'm sure they'd be happy to put it on the ballot. You know, like let's just, it, it shouldn't matter where the support's at. We should, if, if it's an important an issue that's important to people, uh, I think that it should be on the ballot and people should be able to have their say. Look, because this taps into something, as you said, where the public is way ahead. In fact, um, one of the Brown County supervisors, a Republican from Pulaski, Wisconsin, which is where all my relatives settled <laughs> long, long time ago. The Brusky clan is strong in Pulaski. A very conservative area, and he was a Republican. He called them out and called his party out um, and people for not supporting this and saying, the will of the people, like, why are we as a party against the will of the people, which is is very profound in many ways and was one of the folks to vote in favor of the referendum. In fact, I think he even voted in favor of full decriminalization. So it shows that this issue is definitely changing, and, and these referendums are playing a critical role in that because they're getting tons of tons of press and media. And as you said, you know, folks don't need to necessarily be educated about like the right or wrong. They just need it on the ballot to get out. And and to that one final thing on this, there are so many issues that a lot of folks feel are intractable and that nobody's listening. And this is one of them. And that's why there will be folks who will show up who don't normally vote that are totally don't believe the system will ever change. These referendums are like the first sign that, wow, maybe we could have change here. So what can folks do to get more involved? Get more involved? Um, I mean, if you if you live in a county that doesn't already have one of these advisory referendums, I mean, the clock's definitely ticking. Tick, but, tick, tick. But uh, contact your county supervisors and try to try to talk to them to get them to get this on the ballot. It has to pass the full county board by uh, August 28th. Um, another thing you can do to, to get involved, um, I mean, definitely join up with our group we got lots of work to do i mean we're we're out collecting signatures quite a bit um tell them how they can got, do that yeah Let people oh, oh, know yeah, about yeah, normal yeah. right yeah I yeah mean, so they, they know about citizen action the co-op and yeah. you can join the co-op and help work with eric but tell them about normal yeah so uh you you can go to our website sewinormal.org is it it's normal with no a right it's normal with no a but i bought the the domain so that you can type it with an oh, a good. and it gets <laughs> you the right place smart so that way that way i don't have to explain you know just sewi normal no matter how you spell it it'll get you there uh .org though i think i bought the .com too but um either way and then southeastern wisconsin normal on facebook uh we have our monthly public meetings at the central branch of the milwaukee public library downtown um, it's always the second Tuesday of the month at 6 p.m. Uh, the room changes from time to time, so if you go on our Facebook page, you'll be able to see well, which, which room number it's going to be in at any given point. But it's like we always need help collecting signatures. we got a big stack of petition forms that we need to go through and 
uh, do data entry on, add people to our email list, and and figure out uh, what their legislative districts are so we can turn them into the right legislators. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of different work that needs to be done. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw that stack of cards you posted on Facebook. There's plenty of work for yeah. people to do. Yes. It, it, please get in contact with Eric uh, so that you can help out. The other thing is, by the way, if you know, if you can't make the August deadline for this fall, there's no reason we can't keep putting these on the ballot next year, right? I mean, if your True. county is is you know not able to get it on this November, hey, there's port, you know there's elections next April, um, and there is no reason why we can't continue this discussion throughout the state. In much the same way, I think the Fair Maps uh, group, where folks are really trying to get rid of gerrymandering, have gone across the state and it's really helped elevate that issue so please don't don't feel like just because you're too late now it's not a good time to start this conversation at your county i just want to give a quick shout out to my working families party colleague fabio maldonado yeah, who yes. i know is like an og member of normal oh, yeah. uh and he also is a county supervisor in racine so anyone listening in racine who wants to get involved you know reach out to fabi but uh i know he's he's really passionate about this i want to give him some a shout out yeah fabi fabi just told me yesterday that he he rounded up enough votes to get this to pass in racine too so he, he said he's got 10, 10 supervisors in support of putting a, a, a legalization, full legalization advisory referendum on the ballot. So that's, that's so exciting. Great. Yeah, it's really exciting. So before we end this conversation, I do want to make sure we talk about, we, we cover all the counties where it's on so people know and where potentially it could be on. So where there might be um, some public hearings in the next week or two. Um, so we know you mentioned Milwaukee. We've mentioned Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, we, what are the other counties in marathon just this week, shout out to all the good folks up in marathon, uh, just passed it this week. Um, what are the other counties and then what's the other potential between now and the middle of August? So, yeah, so we have, there are seven counties currently that will have it on the ballot in November. And so those are again, Milwaukee, Brown, marathon, and then also lacrosse, rock, Dane and Sauk County. And some of these are just medical advisory referendums. Some of them are full legalization. Which one's full legalization, just so folks know? Um, off the top of my head, I Milwaukee, know, right? I know Milwaukee. I know Milwaukee and Dane are full legalization. I think Rock might be as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Rock, Rock is. Yep. I know that Sauk, Brown, and Marathon are just medical, and I'm pretty sure Lacrosse is only medical as well. Um, and then, so those are the ones that already have them passed. They will be on the ballot in November. Uh, then there's a couple more that that are currently in progress, and those are in St. Croix County, uh, Langlade County, Eau Claire County, Outagamie County, Fond du Lac County, Kenosha County, and soon-to-be Racine County. Um, and then great. I've got some dates for when some of these <coughs> some of these hearings are going to be, if I can. Yeah, go for it. Because we've got lots of listeners in Eau Claire, you know, with our co-op up there, certainly uh, all the way up in St. Croix. Um, so a number of those areas in Ottagamie goes without saying our Northeast co-op. And with the healthcare co-op in yep. Racine, you've yep. got a few folks. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so in Ottagamie County, the next uh, the uh, next meeting that we're gonna, there's going to be a vote on this is going to be Tuesday, August 14th at 4 p.m. in Room One on the third floor of 410 South Walnut Street. So go vote. And um, then go make your your supervisors vote for so this. I guess, so I guess that's the committee meeting at 4 p.m. And then the full board is going to meet at 7 p.m. that same night on August 14th in Otagami. And then Langlade County is going to be uh, having a hearing on it on Wednesday, August 1st um, at 10 a.m. It says in the county boardroom in the lower level of the safety building at 840 
Laremont Street in Antigo. All you Langlaters, get out. St. Croix County will be meeting on August 7th at 5 p.m. at 1101 Carmichael Road in Hudson. And can I just say, yeah. um, Citizen Action member Kim, Kim Butler. Butler. Kim yes. Butler. Kim Butler. Is running for assembly in St. Croix. So, um, you know, any any folks out there who are interested in legalization and are thinking about going to this thing, you should do that. But also you should help Kim, Kim Butler. Butler. Kim yes. Butler. Kim Butler. So, so look, folks, this is this obviously is really important. Um, this is and this is an issue that's moving, right? We already have full legalization in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. California just went full from they started with medicinal, right, and then mm-hmm. now went full. And and Michigan, if we're looking right around us, Michigan now has, I believe, approved seven uh, dispensaries or for, for 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 medical, and hopefully that will start to really change. The dynamic here in the Midwest. Yeah, they'll be Michigan will be legalizing it fully recreationally in November. It's very much expected to pass there in November. So then we'll be we'll have a, a neighbor, a direct neighbor that we can get medical or full recreational from. All right, so folks, this issue's moving. We really want to thank you, Eric, for taking the time to join us. I also want to thank Renee Gash, uh, is one of our co-op members who's been a major leader on this and wrote an excellent blog. We'll have a link to that if people want to read about <coughs> what Renee had to say. But Eric, thanks so much for taking the time and for all your leadership on this issue. I yeah, really appreciate it. You. And your leadership within our organization and the co-ops. It's um, you know, democracy is highly participatory, and you are one of its uh, big players. So thank you for that. Thank you. And with that, we'll take a break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are really, really excited to have our next guest. Uh, Sarah Godlewski is our endorsed candidate for state treasurer and she joins us today sarah welcome thanks matt for having me well first of all thank you so much for being a citizen action organizing co-op member and for picking taking this challenge to run for the state treasurer we we are really excited about it so why don't you start by just uh, telling our listeners a little bit about your campaign uh and uh, we'll take it from there yeah, Matt, as we kind of even talked about a month, what, maybe a couple months ago, is I uh, led the campaign to save our state treasurer. And one of the things that became really obvious in trying to save this office and bring back critical checks and balances and stopping Scott Walker's power grab was how neglected this office has been. I mean, literally, this office has so much potential and hasn't been serving Wisconsinites in the way that I think it should be. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm running. Well, so Sarah, tell us tell us about what you see as one of the critical features and ter- watchdog features that has not been happening at State Treasurer that will be a priority for you if you win. Excuse me, yeah, when, you, I, when you win. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed, knock on wood, yes. Um, well, when you look at our Constitution, and not to get overly dorky, Matt, with anybody here, Um, The way that it's set up is the state treasurer is not involved in the budget process. It literally has no um, role in determining how we're taxed, how the money is spent. And as a result, who's actually been going back to say, did you spend my money the way that you said you would? 
Right now, we don't have that function. And that's exactly what the state treasurer's office was designed to do. It was designed to review and examine financial transactions that involve our tax dollars. It has depository authority, and we're not using it. Um, th- Sarah, that's really helpful. Uh, I think there are a couple different areas that we talk about a bit on the show, and I, I was wondering if you can maybe comment a bit about how the state treasurer's office and the powers of that office intersect with some of these areas. So, one, we've got a lot of public educators who are members of Citizen Action who listen to the radio show or the podcast. Um, so how does this impact public education? Two, I think every single week we talk about Foxconn. So I think you touched on that a bit, but how does that, you know, in terms of accountability and economic development, how does it impact that? That. And three, you know, does the office have any impact on healthcare? And, you know, that can include, you know, public health and, and racial equity. But, you know, those kind of three things, you know, public education, Foxconn, gener- or more generally economic development, and then, you know, public health. Yeah. Um, so let's maybe start with Foxconn because uh, we were just talking about checks and balances. So because this office has the ability to review and examine financial transactions, where I think this office has the best ability and really the, the strongest ability for Wisconsinites is to check on the Foxconn contract and actually ensure that they did what they said they were going to do. So there has been a lot of conversation in Wisconsin. Um, that entities like WEDAC, right, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, doesn't have any sort of oversight. So when they make some sort of corporate tax incentive deal, you know, like in order to get $500,000 in tax incentives, you need to create 5,000 jobs. No one's actually auditing that to say, oh, you actually received or achieved those 5,000 jobs So then you get this tax incentive. They're just giving these tax incentives without necessarily checking on it. And so where I think this office could be that check and balance is to go back with, for example, the Foxconn contract and say there are some very clear milestones in that contract. And if they didn't meet it, they shouldn't be getting any sort of these taxpayer incentives. This is absolutely crazy. So that's where I think kind of within its scope of work – how it can be helpful with kind of that transparency and accountability with the overall Foxconn um, contract and kind of government uh, incentives that has been provided. So looking at public education, uh, one of the things that people aren't always aware about with the state treasurer is this office is the financial trustee to four trust funds that are worth over $1.2 billion dollars. Now, those trust funds were created to provide funding for public education. So to your point, Rebecca, this office literally provided last year, the trust funds provided $35 million to public schools. Now, one of the concerns is that if that amendment would have actually passed, that it would have no longer been able to um, ensure $35 million to public schools. It could have literally been um, gone to somewhere else or been cut. And so what we need to do is ensure that that money continues to go to public education. But one of the things that I'm actually talking about on the trail is how this fund is invested and how we can be really creative and create win-win situations. So, for example, one of the things that we could do with this public education trust fund is we could use some of the liquidity, some of the cash in that trust fund, to refinance student loans. I don't know. Matter, Rebecca, do any of you have any student loan debt or 
No people with student loan debt. No comment. Uh, I just I paid mine off a few years ago. <laughs> Finally, after graduating wow. in '92. <laughs> well, I hear you, Matt, because I graduated with almost seventy-five thousand dollars in student loan debt, and I was paying an interest rate of nine percent. So. And last year, interest rates for student loans in the state of Wisconsin were up to 14.75%. And right now, there's no refinancing programs. So what we could do with this public education trust fund is we could buy these, help these students refinance by buying their high interest loans and then refinancing them at like a lower rate, like at a 4% or at a 5%, which is a win-win because it's still providing a return for that trust fund. But it's a significant savings um, and relief of a burden for student loans. So this is some of the things that we're trying to think about creatively with public education. Um, and then I re- I'm trying to remember, Rebecca, you asked like two other questions. The last thing like, oh. about health and racial equity, but I also know that we don't have too too much time. So We have enough for that, though. Okay. Let's, yeah? let's, let's okay. hear on that. Oh, so I'll just say, you know, as background, you know, the I know Citizen Action has the Healthcare for All co-op and it's something that's really important to folks. Um, but generally, I think there's a lot that we can do in terms of public health um, and as they relate to racial equity and, and communities, whether it's like providing access to capital or like spurring economic development for communities more so than large corporations. Um, but anything within that, you know, is there anything that is relevant to your office and your platform? Yeah, no, great question, Rebecca. So one of the reasons I actually got into finance in the beginning is I um, started my career doing microfinance in rural India and working with women and creating just these transformative communities that were per- empowering women and um, building their communities through this kind of new community lending program. Now, what's really interesting is that I think we can start looking at a community lending program that's kind of similar to microfinance. In fact, there are a couple of state treasurers across the country that are doing this within their state. I think a great model is Rhode Island. So what Rhode Island is doing is providing um, basically the the cash or the capital to these um, credit unions in places that have like what we would refer to as financial deserts. And they will um, create kind of the rules in which they are lending to people are focused on communities of color and women and first-time business owners. Because those are the groups that big banks aren't lending to. But we also know statistically, I mean, Rebecca, when you look at, for example, first-time women business owners, they are less than something, I think, don't quote me on this, but they're like 10%, only 10% of women actually receive loans for their businesses, but yet first-time women business owners are 30% more profitable within their first year. And so we know that um, the like women and communities of color, um, immigrants, for example, they produce successful businesses, but they don't qualify for the loans to do that. And so this is a way in which we, I think, can provide capital to provide to local banks and communities to start lending to people that need it, but also can make a difference within their communities. And then health quickly. I think with health, there's really two things we can look at with potentially the state treasurer. The first one that I'm still actually thinking through in my head, going back to being creative and innovative with this office, is how do we maybe address medical debt? Um, We know medical debt is a significant issue in the state of Wisconsin. And so what are some ways maybe that this office as the chief banker could provide some pragmatic solutions? I think the second thing that we could think about with this office with regard to health 
is what's being funded by the state of Wisconsin for healthcare. So we know, for example, like crisis pregnancy centers are being funded. You know, sometimes conversion therapy organizations are being funded by taxpayer dollars. And I think that needs to stop. And I think providing transparency and accountability about that and informing taxpayers um, is going to help make that change. Well, folks, you just heard a bunch of great ideas for an office that, quite frankly, the current person sitting there had very few other than trying to get rid of it. In fact, uh, today I just saw an article that is spending his time going after former workers to try to say somehow their pensions or the money they're getting is too high, So, which is a complete waste of our time. So it is thrilling to hear you, Sarah, with all of these great ideas that actually will help move this uh, this state forward and provide opportunity for folks. So we're really thrilled you're running and really happy that you joined us today. Uh, before we go, let our listeners know what they can do if they want to help out and get involved in your campaign. Uh, thanks, Matt. Um, I would direct listeners to go to my, check out my website. So I'm at www.sarahforwisconsin.com. So again, that's Sarah for Wisconsin and you can um, send us an email and we, uh, this is a grassroots campaign, Matt, as you know. So any help that we can get from listeners on Battleground Wisconsin is always greatly appreciated. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, and good luck. Again, it's August 14th primary, folks. Make sure you get out and vote Sarah Godlewski for treasurer. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin.